if Jeff, you work for me and we were both in the in the army or even in corporate America, I would know you. I would know if you have a, a spouse or a partner. I would know if you have children. I would know what your challenges are in the morning to get to work. I would know what they are to get home and what you have to deal with at night. I would know when your birthdays are. I mean, I would know all of these things about you and your family. I would know where you grew up, where you went to school, whether you went to school or not, because if you didn't, I might want to help you with career development and and so forth and getting education. It's all of these things um, that go beyond just saying, hey, Jeff, you're you're an IT professional. This is your job. You're a programmer. I'm going to make sure you have a computer or a laptop and you have bandwidth <laughs> so that you can write code all day. I care about you. OK, but I don't know why Jeff's in a bad mood today. Right. <laughs> why? What happened this morning? Well, I know that Jeff has two kids and now they're being homeschooled every day, but somehow he had to make it to work. So and am I in tune with that? Or are leaders just learning that now because we're in crisis for everybody's in this crisis for COVID? Are these just now becoming new things that you're trying to deal with? And oh, by the way, you never knew that Jeff had school age children and now they have to be homeschooled every day. And how are you going to deal with that? That's really not when it comes time to crisis. And that's a whole nother crisis leadership is a whole nother topic in and of itself. But that's not the time to get to learn and get to know who your people are so that you can care about them. That should have already taken place. Welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast brought to you by Carnivera, a leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business and grow your life. Today is episode 75. Our special guest is Robert Bo. Bravo. And the title today is From the Battlefield to the White House to the Boardroom, Foundational Leadership Principles that Apply Everywhere. Bo Bravo has this really fascinating history. He first learned about leadership in the Army. It's been a number of years there. Then he transferred over and applied those leadership principles with his role in the White House, serving as the Presidential Communications Officer for both President George W. Bush and President Barack Obama. He then went into the boardroom and now works as a keynote speaker, career leadership and executive coach, and a business consultant. Bo helps leaders find the core principle that makes all the difference. And it's so simple. Care about your people. Everything that Bo does is about taking care of people. It is focused on how do you build them up, how do you understand them, and how do you care about them every day. And underneath all of this is what Bo talks about with everyone is being a values-based leader. So get ready to be fascinated, to learn some things you've probably never heard before, including how Bo talks to us about the foundational elements of the team that runs the White House. Podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. We are back here in the Impact Leadership Podcast, and Craig and I have a very unique guest today, certainly in terms of his background and experience. We have Bo Bravo with us today, and he is all things people. His, his career has covered a lot of different things, 
heavy focus on people development. But here's the unique part of his background. He spent a decade working in the White House with president, as the presidential communications officer for George W. Bush and President Barack Obama. Hmm. So he's, you know, he's been in that, that high level and that type of front and center type of environment. He also brings a wide, um, a wide base of experience in different executive positions. Today, he's a speaker. Uh, he talks about career leadership. He's an executive coach, business consultant, and he works a lot with government contractors. This is going to be an interesting and diverse conversation. So welcome, Bo. Thank you, Jeff. It is yeah, welcome. Great. Thanks, Craig. It's great to be here. So give us a little bit of the background story on you, Bo. Sure. I'll sum up my background quickly uh, so, that, so that we can move on to some great content, which I'm sure we're going to get into. Um, and, and I use it as, as the title of, of my book, which was very specific for this purpose. And it's from the battlefield to the White House to the boardroom. So my background, I grew up in the United States Army, and that literally started when I was 17 years old. And I raised my right hand to join the Michigan Army National Guard as a junior in high school. That transitioned me down the road to the active duty, uh, 20 years worth of active duty time, uh, which included 10 wow. years at the White House, like you said. Then I retired 2013, got out into corporate America as an HR executive, started my own company um, shortly thereafter doing uh, consulting for government contractors in the Washington, D.C. metro area, staffing, uh, human resources consulting, so hmm. forth. Uh, jumped into healthcare for a little while and, and then uh, did some acquisitions, mergers, acquisitions types of work for, uh, for healthcare. And then I went back out on my own. And mm -hmm. this is where I love to be. So writing, speaking, coaching, mentoring, guiding, doing these types of things with podcast interviews, running our own podcast. Uh, that, that is the down and dirty on what I've done, where I've been, um, and so forth. Wow. Well, like let me jump into the, what I think is an obvious question, Bo, that I'm sure a lot of people have is extensive military career, uh -huh. White House, and now the boardroom in, in, right. corp, in the business world. And I'm going to skip the White House just for a moment and come back sure. to that. I know there's a lot of people listening who are going to say, what does, what's the Army really going to bring to the boardroom? That's there's a lot of people that don't to see the leadership as being very different and not translatable. So talk about how does leadership translate from the yeah. military to the boardroom? Yeah, one of the, that's, a, that's a fantastic question. And one of, the, one of the things I dove into when I was researching uh, my book is professional development, leadership development uh, as an industry outside of the military. So we're talking the corporate world leadership yeah. development, multi-billion dollar industry that in all the studies, many of the studies I read that on their on the face um doesn't always do what it's intended to do right and and that's for organizations that can actually afford to have official leadership programs <laughs> in their organization right. right so when you think about the um or at least like i do when you think about uh america and business it's mostly small business medium-sized business that's where most people work yeah. um it's only it's only a sliver uh, a, a minority that work for big fortune 500 or fortune 100 companies. Most of us are working in small business and medium sized businesses. And those are the locations that most likely don't have the budget to spend on every leader and say, we're going to give you 10 grand a year to be developed into good leaders. So where are you getting your leadership from? Yeah. Right. 
So that's that's kind of the premise on where I went. And then then I look at the military and to make that leap, I'm like, wow, here's an organization, the United States Army and all of our not calling out the army only because that's where I was, but all the forces have them. And we've got these formal, I mean, century old leadership programs that evolve and so forth over time. But everybody gets access to that. Yeah. Leaders are developed from the, they're starting to be developed from the time they enter in as maybe 17 or 18 year old soldiers. And they're being developed formally all the way up until they get their first opportunity to, to lead in a formal way by position. Um, And then I'd look at corporate people and I say, how can that be a bad thing? (laughs) You could bring in that you can bring in or have the opportunity to work with people that came through a very formal leadership process. Uh, and oh, by the way, you're using that every single day, not just when you're in combat or in a right. combat zone, you're leading, you're learning how to do the most important thing uh, in leadership and that's care about your people. Yes, 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 yes. I, you know, I can, that is a topic, uh, gentlemen, I, I could talk the whole time just on, on how you care for people that you don't see in corporate America, hardly ever. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, in my limited engagement with the military as, as in ROTC, there was, there was a lot of things built into that as far as leadership development and going to field training and, and getting some of that stuff. But it really was in, in situation, you're, you're constantly being developed in there. And mm-hmm. I just love the idea of what's going on in there. I, I would imagine, you know, you really every person that's coming out of the military is a million dollar person. You know, there's yeah. so much put into them. I, I, I agree with that completely. You know, you're being, you're, you're being developed formally from an education perspective, and then you're given the opportunity, like you mentioned, even in field training exercises or within those professional development programs, yeah. you're being tested. Mm-hmm. Right. So you get tested and then you're sent to your organization to do it for real. Right. right? So by the time you get there, you've been educated, you've been tested, you've been critiqued. You know, you, 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 um, you have all of these tools and tactics to take with you and then employ them. And the great thing is you weren't the only one in your organization to get it. Everybody <laughs> else that was in a leadership position also got that training. Right. right. And it just becomes embedded. And that's how you get to, Wow. The strong core values that yeah. the army has uh, and how you see all the behaviors uh, that that align with those values. How do you get all that? How does that even come to be? It's through this leadership development um, and what people are preaching, what they're practicing. It's all aligned. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty incredible because it's a, you know, over a million people that make up the United States Army as a whole. When you think wow. of active duty, reserve, National Guard soldiers, um, huge organization. Yeah. Well, you, you yeah. said the word incredible, and that's a word that comes to mind based <laughs> on what you just shared, Bo. Yeah. In this regard, um, you said the army and leadership, a core value is about caring for your people. Right. And you said, and we don't see that in the corporate America. And I agree with you fully. I yeah. think it's a rarity. Uh, Craig and I have both seen that. And I think a lot of people hear that and say, come on. Yeah. Really? So speak more to that, because to me, that's the essence of this. Right. What would it look like? In other words, I'm sorry, what would it look like if corporate America did actually take care of the people in in a similar way? Wow. 
that'd be pretty phenomenal. And I and I hear that. I get you, Jeff, because I I heard it myself from CEOs and executives. They're like, of course I care about my people. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, do you really? really? Do you really? And what does that what does that mean to you? So when I say care about people, if 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 Jeff, you work for me and we were both in the in the army or even in corporate America, I would know you. I would know if you have a, a spouse or a partner. I would know if you have children. I would know what your challenges are in the morning to get to work. I would know what they are to get home and what you have to deal with at night. I would know when your birthdays are. I mean, I would know all of these things about you and your family. I would know where you grew up, where you went to school, whether you went to school or not, because if you didn't, I might want to help you with career development and, and so forth and getting education. It's all of these things um, that go beyond just saying, hey, Jeff, you're you're an IT professional. This is your job. You're a programmer. I'm going to make sure you have a computer or a laptop and you have bandwidth <laughs> so that you can write code all day. I care about you. Okay. But I don't know why Jeff's in a bad mood today, right? <laughs> why, what happened this morning? Well, I know that Jeff has two kids and now they're being homeschooled every day, but somehow he had to make it to work. So and am I in tune with that? Or are leaders just learning that now because we're in crisis for everybody's in this crisis for COVID are these just now becoming new things that you're trying to deal with. And Oh, by the way, you never knew that Jeff had school age children and now they have to be homeschooled every day. And how are you going to deal with that? That's really not when it comes time to crisis. And that's a whole nother crisis. Leadership is a whole nother topic in and of itself, but that's not the time to get to learn and get to know who your people are so that you can care about them. That should have already taken place. But wait a minute, Bo. I mean, if, if we gave Jeff the computer, you know, he has the tools that he needs to work. What else do we need to do? I mean, why do we, why do we need to care about all this other stuff? Because we need to get the best possible performance out of Jeff and Jeff's team that surrounds him uh, and so forth to get the results we want for our company, right? We want higher profit margins. We want better sales. Mm -hmm. uh, we want a great company culture, right? So... Yeah, but what's the real reason? What is the real reason? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. we, we got to be humans, right? Yeah, we we we, can, we don't have to check our humanity at the door. You don't. That's a bit, you know. And I grew up in um, a lot of times in a lot in human. I was a human resources executive, a human resources professional, bringing leadership to that. Mm -hmm. And um, that that is, I think, I think in that industry as a whole, HR professionals, <laughs> we talk about this a lot, and I think leaders get led down this path of compliance yes. and regulatory and stick to the stick to the rules. Don't ask certain questions because we won't want to be discriminated against. So you're almost being taught on one hand to not be human, right. right? To leave your humanity at the door and stick to the script. And me personally, I'm, I'm not like that whatsoever. Yeah. Right. It's, I had a CEO once tell me that um, he's getting, he's getting really tired of HR trying to keep him in a box. <laughs> and he's like, I want the HR leader that can get me outside of that box and, yes. and help me actually run my business. There is a wow. huge difference between a strategic HR person and a functionary. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. So yeah, you got to bring humanity in. Humanity has to be present in the workplace. So this seems obvious, Bo. And I, I'm going to tell you right now, you're, you're, you're probably grateful that you're in Warren, Ohio, and I'm in Tampa, Ohio, or in Tampa, sure. Florida, because <laughs> if, if we were in the same room right now, and what you just said earlier, I'd be kissing you. Uh, <laughs> I'm just telling you, because, not because you're good looking, but you are, but because, you know, this is the message Craig and I talk about. And Absolutely. it is so simple, 
but <laughs> but it's not happening. And it's not. In fact, I believe it's actually one of the re- one of the reasons it's not happening is because people think it's happening. Mm-hmm. But what's there to do better? So let's talk about what gets in the way of this actually happening that keeps this from happening in leadership and in organizations. Why don't they care about their people and demonstrate it in their action? Yeah. Oh, man, you have great questions, by the way. He does. Um, <laughs> fantastic question. Uh, I think there's there's numerous answers to that. Um, I think, number one, from the people perspective, uh, even in my talk I did today, I, I talked about people operations versus using human resources as the common knowledge or common term. Um, I think people, uh, people leaders or HR professionals, I think they're part of the reason and get in the way because you're constantly hearing the message of, you know, don't get too personal with folks or whatever the case might be. They're acting more like a police force inside of organizations yeah. um, for compliance reasons. Um, I think that, I think there's just not enough corporate executives that see the value in, in doing things that would lead to caring more about their people or showing that they care more about their people. It drives, um, gets into the discussion of values-based leadership and why are core values so important. Uh, they just don't take the time or they've never been shown the studies. They're not educated on the topic, whatever the case might be. And it's, and it's not that that's a, a purposeful thing that they're avoiding it. They just haven't done it, haven't been exposed to it. And, um, and they don't realize what they're missing. <laughs> I don't. Yes. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to call them out, not you, but yeah. them on that. This idea to me to say that you haven't come across it tells me you haven't opened your eyes because yeah. it's everywhere. I mean, there's what you're talking about, Bo, is not the exception in the research. It is the overwhelming effect yeah. of the research. And I think part of the challenge is what most many leaders today did not grow up in that environment. So they're mm-hmm. basically saying, I don't need to do that. I'm going to lead the same way I was led who that person was led the same. They sure. were led and generations ago th- that was more accurate and it worked. It just doesn't work today. Well, I think we're probably getting to the point now where we're starting to see some, some changes. Jeff and I've talked to several companies that, that mm-hmm. seem to be doing things right. And it, it seems like those people who have worked there are now going to carry that into other cultures and other, other businesses. And eventually we're going to start seeing some change. See the millennials, you know, the, the, a lot of people say, well, you know, they just want, want, want what they want. Well, no, they're, they're trying to be a place where I think we all should be, which is we ask for what we want and sometimes we get it and sometimes we don't. Yeah, sure. No, that's great to hear that there's change. Uh, change is coming or change is being had in certain companies. Yeah. Uh, I hope that, you know, I hope it goes viral. I really do. <laughs> well, that's that, what we're here for. That's, that's yeah. a big part of this podcast. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you completely. Um, one, of the, one of the gentlemen, we had him on our podcast, uh, and he, he was the writer of the foreword of my book, one of the founders of JetBlue Airways. Uh-huh. Uh, Mike Barger, and he's a professor today uh, at the University of Michigan. But when we sat down and we've talked numerous times and you said it earlier about like some things are just, it seems simple, right? It should just be, this should just be simple. Yeah. Um, but it's often the simple things that evade people. Uh, and I think that happens in, in the C-suite where sometimes things seem too simple. Like how can that be? We need to add complexity. It's, it's not, you know, it's not complex enough to solve our business issues or our business problems, if you will. Uh, so they, they just kind of wash right past it until either they have an epiphany or they've talked to the right person that they trust, right? Or, or they admire or a mentor of theirs 
that actually puts it in front of them that, yeah, they might be aware of it and they might know, uh, but they've never taken action on, on things like this. Well, and I think I, I'm going to disagree with you, Craig. I don't think we're anywhere near to a trajectory of change. Oh, no, I'm I saying that there are that, companies that are doing well. Yeah, but, but it, you said getting there because we're on a trajectory. I totally disagree because if we look at the Gallup studies, that trajectory sucks. Totally. <laughs> that, if, on that trajectory, we'll get where we're talking about when you, our great-grandchildren's children are in the workforce. Wow. Because, and that's frighteningly sad to me. Because and to me, there there needs to be a fundamental commitment and shift to really change things. Yeah, because too many people, like to, like I said, they actually and, and Tommy Spalding said it well. You know, Tommy Spalding. I don't know if you know Tommy, great friend of mine. We had him on early in the podcast, and he said, "Look, most leaders don't wake up in the morning and say I'm going to be an asshole today." Yeah. They actually think they're servant leaders. 90% of leaders think they're servant leaders, but only 10% really are. And if yeah. that's the reality, what's going to change? How does that change? It doesn't yeah. until more of that 90% says, I am not what I think I am, and I'm willing to do something different. Yeah. Wow. I have a story about, about that, and it was actually an epiphany that hit me the first time I was hearing something similar to that. And I, I was presenting at a conference in Kentucky. Uh, it was their state uh, HR conference. I had multiple presentations and then I sat in the presentation of a friend of mine while she was presenting her, her topic. And she brought that exact thing up and she had the studies up on the, up on the board. Um, and it was, it was something, it was a Harvard study, I believe that she referenced. And it was something like um, 97% of those who make it into the C-suite and we'll say your CEOs are overconfident and undercompetent. <laughs> and and many of them are extroverts so they can they can they get very confident in who they are in themselves so their confidence is through the roof and we all need confidence but then they get there and the competence is not in line with their confidence but because of their their personality their charisma their character um they've they've elevated themselves or they've achieved these positions but they don't truly have the the ability to do what they need to do at that level. I thought it was fascinating. Wow. Yeah. Well, there's a collision course because yeah. uh, one of our guests about a month ago, Walt Rakowitz was talking about a study. I think it was a Stanford study, I believe, or, or maybe it was Harvard Business Review mm -hmm. that was talking about the top five fears of CEOs. Mm -hmm. And the top yeah. three were, and I forget the order, was that they're not confident enough that huh. they will be seen as a failure, that they will somehow be seen as inadequate to the job. So if their confident level is high, as she's saying, yeah, and that's if the, both studies are right, what that means is that it's a false confidence. That's right. Right? It's a yeah, false or, confidence. Right. It's the confidence, and maybe they have that confidence to get there, but then once they're there, it's, it kind of changes for them, right? And that they'll be seen as, as failures. And you know, what, what better thing to put in front of them to say, Hey, you need to implement, um, we need to talk about values-based leadership and caring about your people. And you have, yeah, that needs to be a priority. Um, and then they're trying to relate to, well, how do I turn that into better revenue, bringing new products to market, um, increasing my stock price, you know, all of those things that they're going to be hammered on by their board of directors and somebody's sitting there saying, well, what we really need to focus on are the people. 
and <laughs> aligning our wow. core values with behaviors and and so forth and we'll we will see the results trust me that that could be a hard yeah well but i think you you raise a really great point there and i want to go back to what you said earlier bo that when you think about the size of businesses and the nature of this economy the truth yeah. is the biggest employer is small businesses yes small businesses employ more employees than large organizations and right. when you talk about the board and stock prices that only applies to a very small slice of businesses and they have True. a different issue but my premise is and i see this all too often is even the smallest companies aren't getting this right i mean yeah, yeah. i remember working with a company of probably 30 people six seven years ago leader a really nice person really saw himself as a caring person and i spent time with every employee and i i remember talking to one young woman and they told me she's the best writer here okay. that's what they told me so to me, it was obvious. I sit down with her. I said, tell me about why you love writing. Mm -hmm. She proceeds to tell me her story. I said, have you ever thought of writing a book? She says, absolutely. In fact, I wrote a book. I just didn't publish it because it told a story of a traumatic event in my life. I had a publisher all lined up. I wasn't ready for the story to be out. I said, wow, that's fascinating. Thanks for sharing that. And she looked at me and said, you know, you're the first person here who's ever asked me about my writing and not one person in this company knows what I just told you. Isn't wow. that something? And 30 people total. Like, come yeah. on, people. Talk yeah. about, just get to know your people. Just get. To Why know is that people. not happening? Because I don't think someone thought it was important enough or they were too busy mm -hmm. to yeah, I think care about their people. So, I think people get so caught up in their own lives that they, they yeah. don't really think about, okay, let, let me think about this person across the aisle or you know, in the next cubicle over or whatever it is, I, I need to take care of myself, you know, and there's right. this insular take care of me mentality that seems to pervade a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't do anything but destroy our, our ability to connect. Yeah, that's a, I, I agree with that completely. And if you're, if you're too caring of yourself and your situation, your family, what's happening at home for you specifically, Yep. Um, it's, it's, it's almost impossible for things like servant leadership to come out of you. Right. right? It, it's just, it's just not going to happen where you're putting, you're putting others, you know, you're, you're serving those that you lead. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it'll, it'll, it just won't happen. And so when you're interviewing somebody, Bo, are you looking for somebody to say, you know, we did this, we did that versus, you know, this is all about me. You know, this is what I did. These are my great accomplishments, but it's more of the team. How do you, how do you get to that person that's, that's actually saying, you know, I am a servant leader and they, they really follow through. Yeah, no, I think it's a combination of both. And, and I, I'm glad you asked that question because I was talking to a, um, a group of HR professionals today uh, uh, out of Michigan. And we talked about, um, I gave them all different tools and tactics in the discussion on how how to use interviewing mm -hmm. techniques to get the answers that you would want to be able to evaluate whether or not this person's going to be not whether they have the technical skills or those capacities but the intangibles are they going to be a good fit for your team and your company yeah. right but to get there and to get those types of questions and to ask them in a way that would get the right answer I told, I said, I started them with values and you know, what are your company values? And if you know what they are, they're listed. What are all the behaviors? Sit down and take time to define what the behaviors are that would demonstrate those values. And oh, by the way, then read the job description that you're interviewing for 
what are all what are all the behaviors that you would want to see that align with your values that that would encompass a great performer in that job description so when they fill that role so then when you're interviewing your candidate um you ask the questions about um, an experience in their past whatever the case might be um, where they demonstrated um i don't know during the COVID 19 crisis and, and you're looking for somebody who's transparent and brings information and communicates well you know so during the past eight months during this crisis you know how did communication go with your team um so then okay i didn't tell them that transparency is our value i didn't tell right. them i'm looking for you to give me answers that relate to that just tell me about how you communicated with your team and in doing so i'll learn about you whether it's an i or a we and what met what uh what your actions meant to you did they result in anything positive what did you get out of all of that so i try to lead people away from the from the standard um interview questions uh because they got to be specific to i don't buy into i'm not a person that buys into the you know the guidebooks here are your 20 best interview questions um, <laughs> you got to be specific to your organization and the values of your company in order to drive the best fit and the best talent for your company and this is and that's a topic in and of itself and how you align um, talent with, with your company because you don't want high turnover, you want retention, you want high performers, you want high, high performing teams, um, but there's things that you have to do to get there and you can get there. You just got to have the right people uh, leading it or have an understanding and know-how in order to get there. Yeah. So I'm really intrigued, Bo. I, I want to talk about just what you just said, because I think I think part of the problem is lack of clarity mm -hmm. around the terms you just described and maybe even too much using those. Yeah. Because if you go to someone and say top talent, mm -hmm. most people, if they list what that means, they're going to talk about performance yeah. in terms of technical delivery, doing the yeah. work. If you talk about high performers and high performance, they're going to talk about delivery and and the technical side, they're not going to talk about the intangibles. They're right. not going to talk about people skills. I think we can equate them, but so often the words are equated. Like think about, for, for me, my bias, mm -hmm. and, and Craig and I have talked about this. I think the fundamental issue with any organization needs is to look at what their trust is. Right. What's their level of trust? How many people put that in a job description? <laughs> you know, when someone says, like an interview, he says, what does success look like? How many times they say, well, at the end of the year, you have built so much trust that your team looks out for each other and has each other's back and they jump in and they are here to fight for each other, literally to get this right and take care of our clients and customers. That's mm -hmm. what we're looking for. I don't hear yeah. those questions asked. You don't hear those. <laughs> no, I know. You don't. Oh, that's and that's great. where they miss. That's why I, it goes back to what we talked about earlier. Like, it seems so simple that that's what you should be asking. But we're so involved with measurements and, and yes, um, not that measuring performance is not important. It's it, it is. Uh, but to find and to hire the right people for your company, right, yeah. that that are going to fit with your team, that are going to lend to even improving the culture that you already have. Yep. You have to get into the intangibles and you have to know how to ask the questions. Um, that will deliver the answers that you're looking for. Because you've probably experienced it before. You know, if you hire the individual that, yeah, all those technical skills, they are absolutely like the number one qualified person. Yep. 
But if they suck to work with and nobody, (laughs) I mean, they cannot perform on a team. They can't get along with, with people, right? It, they won't last long in your organization. It'll be over pretty quickly in my experience. We've seen the studies that say, you know, 15% of success comes from your technical skills and 85 comes from your interpersonal skills and your character. Sure. But then you, you have that kind of a flip and you're saying, okay, when we, we look at it at the end of the day, we're looking for performance and performance is usually defined as more sales, business growth, those types right. of things that are numbers that indirectly relate to their ability to lead and, and get their people going with them. But sometimes it can be gamed and somebody just overworks, you know, just works so hard to get something done in spite of their team rather than with their team. Yeah. How do you suss that out? (laughs) Yeah, you're right. I think you got to have the right, um, you got to have the right, you got to have the right performance management system in place, right? That, that includes all the other stuff other than, other than the numbers or the, the analytical performance analytical aspects of their performance um, to do that. And, you know, that's, that's a combination of things, whether you're doing uh, 360 reviews with, you know, subordinates and leaders and everything else, and which will encompass the intangibles and how they're working as a team and how they're performing yeah. in that, in that realm. Um, do you see them, you know, if, if you're their supervisor and your leader, do you see them helping their teammates? Uh, are they pitching in when they're finished with their work? Are they asking for more work? Uh, and so forth. That's why, you know, performance as a whole, and there, there's another topic for a podcast, performance management is, is, you know, it's an ongoing thing, right? So, you know, you have a problem if you find a company that's doing an annual review um, and that's it. So, so, yeah. you know, so, so, you know, you have a pr- lots of does problems. Does that still exist? Yeah, I, it oh. does. I, <laughs> it absolutely does. I'm being yeah. facetious. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so then you have, you know, you have a whole slew of issues to, to potentially work through. Um, I'm a fan of one-on-ones and catalytic coaching for performance related, um, endeavors so that you're getting the employee involved in what it is that they want to accomplish, not just on the job, but in their personally, their career, professionally. And then as a, as a leader, you're making sure that, you know, there's alignment with their goals and then that you're helping them. I mean, that's what we were talking about earlier, right? If you want to, if you care about them and somebody wants to go to school, night school, right? Or part-time on the weekends to get another degree, you know, are you supporting that? Are you supportive of that? Absolutely. Are you helping them get there and finding resources and so forth? Um, Yep. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm wondering, Craig, to something you said, there might be a fallacy in our system that's a problem. Mm -hmm. What I heard you say is talking about these people's performance and you said, and it indirectly helps them lead others. I would argue that's actually false. No, what I'm saying is that it, it indirect. So there's two different ways that you can get that outcome. One is by working with the team. And the other one is just by sheer force of for, forcing yourself to do the work. Mm-hmm. And right, you can I'm appear saying- in the short term to have those performance indicators. But what's going to happen is eventually that's going to come back and bite you. But I, I think that's part of the problem. Because you said there's two ways. And I'd say there's only one way people still believe the other way will work. If you've got a strong performer, they will make a great team because they're a strong performer. And I think that's an absolute lie. I don't but agree with that. It will happen sometimes. Yeah, I don't agree yeah. with that, but, there, but it still exists. In other words, yeah. uh, I'm saying that somebody can do that in the short term and, and put up numbers that appear really good. 
but yeah. it's generally not going to be it, eventually the rest of their team is going to undermine them there's going to be sure. other issues that pop up but it can be done i got you i think a great i just had this conversation earlier this week with a friend of mine he's a former nfl player and we had him on our podcast he's a keynote speaker and we were talking about barry sanders and and barry sanders for the detroit lions one of the greatest running backs ever so his performance without a doubt topped the charts right never ever on a championship team ever hmm. so the organization as a whole the detroit lions was not was not a winning pro, was just was not a winning team they just didn't get it done um but that one individual did but it doesn't really you know if you're one person um you know, and your company doesn't win or benefit from all that you do, and your team doesn't benefit. Uh, you're you're not. It's not a good recipe for wow. success. Yeah, compare that to Michael Jordan. Exactly. That's the exact opposite, right? Great, 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 great performer. Probably the greatest of all time. But look at the team. Look and look how he supported the team. Right. Right. It wasn't his, just him. Wasn't just him. Yeah. His. He I mean he had records set for the number of assists that he would that he would give. Um, and helping the team score and defend as well. And look how many championships that team won. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I think something that came up in our podcast this summer, and I hadn't really heard it put this way. I think it was really helpful for me to visualize the challenge. It was uh, from an another retired, uh, from a vet. This was a former retired Air Force officer. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Do you know Kevin Basic? Have you crossed paths with Kevin? I have not. So Kevin's based in Charlotte. He he created a lot of the leadership development for the Air Force. For does a lot of work with the Air Force. But one of his things he gave us visually was he said the problem is when leaders are up here in mm -hmm. positions of leadership, when they look down, they're typically looking for performance in the traditional sense as they elevate people. Skills. Mm -hmm. Problem is the people who are here are looking up at leadership are looking for character. Yeah. And those others but the people up here are missing it themselves. So they're yeah. elevating people without thinking about character, but the team needs character. Well, no wonder you're going to have a problem. Yeah. You elevated people on performance without looking at character, even though you're being expected to deliver on character. Yeah. You know where you see that? And I've seen this in the, in, uh, I've seen this, uh, when you do, when you do 360, uh, reviews, right. And you, you'll have a different picture let's say we're reviewing Craig, right? And he's got the character and his team thinks he's the greatest because he cares about him, he delivers, and they know that. He's got their back 100% of the time, right? Always there for them. He's not selfish. He's a servant leader. And his, he's got, you know, 4.9 is his average score out of five from all of his subordinates. But then leadership gives him like a three because they're not seeing the performance out of necessarily Craig or what they think that performance should be out of Craig, right? But in reality, he's probably the best performer in the whole company. Hmm. Um, I've seen that numerous times and, and you get this, this imbalance on what a higher up looking down thinks they are seeing and witnessing versus what the reality is on the ground. Interesting. So in other words, the, the look, what they're looking for is, is this person doing all the things that I want them to do versus, mm -hmm. you know, in a leadership position, are they doing their real work of enabling all of the people that are working with them? Right. So from the military standpoint, and, and, I, and I get that, that vision, uh, when you're reviewed for promotion, it's a, it's a paperwork, it's a paperwork <laughs> drill. 
yeah. they're looking at your all of your performance reviews over the last whatever five, seven, eight years uh, that it takes in between promotions, and those are all individual metrics. It's all about about you as the individual and what you did and what you accomplished and so forth. Um, and I think a lot of good people get passed up because uh, they're not concerned about asking, you know, the 50 people that reported to Craig how Craig did, right? They're just looking at, um, and who wrote the review? Well, Craig's boss wrote the review, right? So there's a lot of uh, missteps, I think, that happen in that, in that environment specifically. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. The Impact Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Cartavera. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, resources, events, and a community to help you grow. At Cartavera, we believe that you can't grow a business bigger than you, that your company is limited by your growth. We blend personal growth with leadership, team, and business growth to give you a single place to grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. You can find out more at cartavera.com. Welcome back. Well, it's interesting, the analogy or the carryover, however we want to use it, from the military. Craig knows this of me. I've been drawn to military leadership. I did not serve, but in particular, because of a show, Band of Brothers, uh -huh. uh, and, and watching the leadership of Dick Winters in that, which to me epitomizes exactly what we're talking about, what we need. Someone who cared about his men, understood his men, knew them uniquely and individually, Knew a I mean, he did keep some distance based upon rank, but he knew what, what they did best, where they thrived the best, mm -hmm. and they trusted him, and he was always yeah. willing to be out front. So he's in a military context, and he epitomized to me servant leadership. Yeah. Um, and I think that a lot of times people are missing it because they think that the military is this warrior leadership. It's a command and control right. model, but it's really a paradox. It has, it does have rank. It does have following oh, sure. orders. Yeah. You know, my friends who are vets have all said to me, yeah, Jeff, in the military, you didn't ask a lot of questions. That was not generally safe to ask questions. Yeah, and I think that all depends on, because um, I, I would agree with that. You know, just, be, just because you were formally developed and you rose up the ranks in the military does not equate whatsoever that you were a great leader. It just, <laughs> it, it doesn't. There's other things that, that come with that. And I've, I've witnessed both myself and had some really great servant leaders that set an example for me to learn from. So one of the, it's interesting you talk about this because maybe it's because of my, I've studied a lot of history. And when I look at history, I don't look at dates and numbers. I look at leadership. Mm -hmm. That's how I experience it. And I think of how these people were and, you know, people I've known and sure. You know, a name that pops into my head is um, Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain, to me, just modeled mm. so much incredible leadership during the Civil War. But a question I've used with some clients who, who connect to that, because if people don't think about these issues, it's kind of out of their realm. Mm -hmm. But I always like to ask them the foxhole question. If they have any context for that, whether they've been a vet or have, you know, studied it, is to say, for example, if I'm talking to Craig and say, so Craig, let's talk about Bo. Um, would you would you want Bo in your foxhole? Mm. Yes or no? Absolutely. And if not, why not? Yeah. And if yes, why? And then that second question I ask is: Let's assume you're in the foxhole with Bo. Mm -hmm. How well are you sleeping? Yeah. And I've gotten some really intuitive, <laughs> really helpful, insightful answers, such as everything from "I'll sleep soundly" to 
I'm sleeping with one eye open and I'm not sure they'll be there in the morning. Or I'm not going to well, sleep at all. I'm not going to sleep at all. Code. So yeah, monitor for five minutes. Because <laughs> it's very, you know, it, it's vivid to them to say yeah. this is important stuff. Trust matters. That's that's a really yeah. good point. And that, I think that that comes back to that whole question of trust. And is is that question that you put there, you know, is that something that we can ask to anybody? I think that's a really good point. Yeah, that is a great, those are all, those are great questions, especially in corporate America to help them visualize you know, what that means, right? Yeah, we have, we have exercises for that in the army to show people who you can actually trust in the foxhole, right? Because like I said before, you're trained, you get tested, and then it's real, right? So it's the kind of thing where, um, you know, I remember being at airborne school, learning how to jump out of planes, but they always had this thing and you wonder, why the hell am I doing this, right? Well, when, when, it's, when it's time to, you know, lights off and everybody has to stay in the barracks because you're there for training. You don't have an option. Everybody stays in the barracks, regardless of your rank. Um, and there's 300 of you for a class. But, you know, let's say lights out at 10 p.m. and you got to get up at 5 a.m. So you have a seven-hour period. Well, for that seven hours, every single night, somebody is, does, somebody's designated, there's a roster to guard the foxhole, right, which is, the barracks, you know, and they call it fire guard. You'll make sure no fires break out. Well, no, no fires are going to break out, right? It's all about can you trust? In reality, the lesson is can you trust your partner in the foxhole, which that night, I think those duties, my gosh, they were only like 30 minutes long. <laughs> so seven hours, you had 14 people that had duties sometime throughout the night. And nobody's going to wake them up. They had to wake themselves up. So you got to get up in time to relieve your buddy who's uh, sitting downstairs you know, watching or guarding the barracks. So, and, and trust me, when they don't show up, that's, that's a bad, bad, bad thing. Right? And, it won't be, and it won't be dealt with by the leadership. It's dealt with by everybody who's having to take on that role. Those 300 right. students, if you will, that are there for training. Because if you screw me in the foxhole, right, that's not a good thing. Right. That doesn't build trust. That doesn't build the bond of camaraderie that that I can go to sleep with yeah. my eyes shut. Right. Yeah. Fascinating. So Bill, you, let's talk about we've talked about a lot of ideas and some of them are mm -hmm. what are the issues, some of the what are the obstacles to change? And we've talked about some solutions. Let's talk a little more specifically about solutions. Sure. And I, I'd like to focus on small and mid-sized businesses. So if you, you are right now talking to leaders of all levels in small and mid-sized businesses, what do they need to hear from you for yeah. them to be more of the leader you're describing? Sure. I think, number one, you have, to, you have to pay attention and get involved with the people that you've hired to work for your company. <laughs> because even if you're a small business of 30 employees, that means there's 29 employees other than yourself that are going to help drive the revenue you need to stay in business, right? And you need those people to be uh, at the top of their game. But in order to do that, you have, you have to know them. It has to be more than a transaction. It has to, you have to, you have to know them. And, you know, I'll give you one, one tactic. Think to yourself as, as you're listening. And if, especially if you're a small business, you know, you have, you have these events, you have luncheons, you, you might bring in food uh, for a meeting or something like that. Do you eat last? So this is a direct question to the CEO or the owner of that company. Do you eat last every single time, right? Do you make sure that all your people eat first 
before you step up to grab a plate of food. It's a small analogy, but trust me, your people are watching you and they're, they're paying attention to your behaviors and how you act. If you're the first one to get a plate and then there's not enough food left for everybody else, mm -hmm. trust me, they didn't think of you in a good way during that event. <laughs> um, yeah. So that, you know, that's one thing. So well, before uh, you go on from that, I want to highlight that because a lot of people hear that and think, oh, come on. Yeah. Simon Sinek wrote a book called Leaders Eat Last, but I will tell you Ferrazzi? from personal, pardon? Ferrazzi, or is that Sinek? Simon Sinek. Okay. Simon Sinek. Um, in an organization I'm involved in at a leadership level called the Mankind Project, that exact issue came up. And one of my mentors, I was on the weekend in a leadership role, and he walked up to me, and he, here's how he did it. He said, hey, how's the food look? Because I had a plate of food. I said, it looks great. And he just looked around and he said, seems like you went pretty early. Hmm. And I just, and, and that's all he said to me. And I went, huh. And he said, just that. He said, probably enough, but if there's not, do you want to be the guy that had the plate? So I know this stuff, but I needed that help, that person to catch me in that moment. And I'll mm -hmm. tell you from that moment forward in all contexts, I go last. People say, come on. I go, nope, I'm not going to go, especially if I'm in that role. Right. And now it's become a new muscle for me, but it wasn't. It was, and it wasn't that I was selfish. I just didn't think about that right. little thing. But yeah. right on, leadership is those little things. It's the little things. And it's being, I mean, that's a great point. It's being aware. It's being conscious of Absolutely. those things. Right. And yeah. having awareness that those things matter. They might be small, but they have a big impact. Yep. Um, so, so first point was um, caring. That's what they, that's what they need to hear. And they need to hear. I mean, you can't say that enough in my book, right? You just, you just can't. Um, second thing, and we talked well, about Wait a minute. This. Let's, Go ahead. So let's pause there. I would say that when you, when you look at that, there's definitely a bottom line impact there because if, if you can get that part right, there are going to be people willing to work for you for less or better quality people for the same type of role and same mm -hmm. pay than you would get otherwise, because ultimately people want to be around those that, that actually care for. Them. Absolutely. You know, another good way to do that. And it, it seems simple, um, but it's it just not, it evades people. Uh, you know, when things are going really, really well and you want to celebrate the wins and you should celebrate the small wins along the way. Number one, give credit to your team. Yes. That actually did it. Yes. Right. Give, give credit to the team. If things didn't go well and you're in the leadership role, don't blame your team, blame yourself, take the <laughs> exactly. heat. So it's, so it's yeah. give credit, take the heat. Uh, that's a way to show that you, that you truly care about the people that you're in charge of and that you're yeah. right. Um, another thing that, that seems simple, but it goes back to the question Craig asked earlier about whether it's eyes or wheeze. Um, you can, you just can't be the I person. Um, yeah. I don't think that's a good quality of leadership. You have to be team oriented in the way that, uh, you are, you are demonstrating to your team that you 100%, if they're the ones that produce something and it, and it made it great for everybody and it was a true team effort, um, and you're presenting that or you're briefing that or anything like that, uh, you know, you got to give that team credit. Yeah. I want to fine tune a piece of that Bo, because sure. I think you highlighted it. And I, and as Craig knows, I'm a creature of language. Mm -hmm. And people are always saying you can't use I. I actually think there's a scenario where leaders have to use I. In the achievement circle, it's a we. 
Mm-hmm. It's a we. But when things go bad, it is an I. Yeah, because yeah. too many leaders, when things go bad, stick with the we. And they'll say, we need to be better, which is true. But I'd rather hear the leader say, here's some things that I didn't, I need to do different going forward. I'd right. love for you. I'm inviting you to take that same ownership. But when things don't work, that's where I think leaders need to bring the eye. I. I miss this. Yes. I need to do better. Let's figure this out. Right. I think that's important difference. And I think that's a great point, Jeff. And the other little add on to that is, yeah, this is where I could do better on that. But I'm, I also welcome your feedback to help me improve and get even better. Right. What are the things that I'm not seeing? Yeah, no, I agree with that completely. Thanks for that clarification, because that's on point, 100%. So we All talked right, so we about one. the little things. We talked <laughs> the little about things. caring. Yeah, and then uh, in the pre-show, we were discussing um, the importance of after-action reviews, right? So even yeah. for, um, I think, especially for a small business, right? Yeah. Because, because most, if you're, if you're a small business, most, uh, I would think most definitely, everybody everybody in the company, if not a large portion of the company, is kind of all involved in whatever's happening in that small business, right? In some way, shape, or form, you have a piece of that puzzle to make the business work. Uh, so if you're working on certain things and, you know, we'll just use, let's just use the pandemic as a uh, scenario that everybody got thrust in to include small business. Uh, most, I would imagine most small businesses prior to the pandemic, they probably didn't have a standard operating procedure that they would just <laughs> grab off the shelf. And it says, this is how you respond to a crisis. Right. <laughs> they, they most likely did not have that. Okay. So large organizations have that have dealt with crises like the airline industry, they, they have that stuff. They know if, if a, something, an accident happens with a plane or there's something happening on the runway, they've been trained. They have that. Um, those guides uh, to say, this is what we do. Step one, we're calling the fire department. Step two, we're doing a, you know, B and so forth. Small business, not so much. So when you talk about after action review, and now we're eight, nine months into this, um, have you taken the time to say, okay, this is what we've to sit down, get your team together. And when we say after action review, what you're wanting to, what you're wanting to discuss is what happened, what was supposed to happen, and, and um, what could we have done better, right? So you're getting that team together and, and now you're at this point that, um, and this is further shutdowns irrelevant and for the purpose of this discussion, uh, you know, things shut down, this is what happened to our business, we open back up, whatever the case might be, have you taken the time to sit down and really roll through an after action review to, to talk through with transparency, open up the floor for feedback, um, and input to, to what really happened in your business. Yeah. You know, mark it down. What happened? And then once it started happening, what were you supposed to do to respond to it? How did you respond to it? What, what did you miss or what could you have done better? Mm-hmm. Right. And then that should start to evolve into some type of, um, operating manual, if you will, for analogy and how to respond next time this happens because it's going to yeah. happen. Crisis is going to happen. It does. It comes around periodically. And you have to have learned something from the previous event. And that's the point of an after action review. It's not to put blame. It's not for judgment. It's not for um, call people out, whatever the case might be. It's to learn from what you just went through 
so that you can build upon, make correction, find solutions. Because when it happens again, you need to have that to draw upon. And it shouldn't be a time with like, oh, crap. How did we handle that? Did we do that right or not do it right? How did that turn out, right? Um, yeah, so after action think, review. I think that's so important because when we're talking about learning, essentially small businesses are in a constant state of learning. They're mm -hmm. trying new things and they're probably the most flexible because they don't have these big structures, but they do need to be in a place of constant learning. And really the best kind of learning is like you're saying, we, we need to assess what has happened so that we can move forward. If you're doing yeah. a, you know, a, a split test on, you know, which web page works better, that's, that's one type of thing. But what about your leadership style in this particular situation versus another? Right. Is that, you know, what are this? It's the same type of thing. It's just, it's maybe not as measurable, but it's something that we can get the feedback on. Exactly. I mean, open up that floor to feedback, give people homework before they come to the meeting that they have to bring comments. They have to bring questions. They have to bring their input. Uh, yeah. It's important to hear from everybody that was involved uh, in that scenario or that situation so that you can truly open it up to discussion and, uh, and learn something from it. So you have a positive, turn a negative into a positive outcome. Because uh, even if things went really south, maybe you're on the, you had laid people off or you're on the brink of, of losing your business altogether. Um, you can turn that into some type of positive light uh, moving forward. Yeah. Well, one thing I loved about what you said, Bo, at least the way I heard it was the, the, the greatest emphasis was on what do we do better next time? Right. Yeah. It wasn't on what went wrong. Cause sometimes people say, well, we're not calling people out. Well, you are in a way, if you're going to highlight what went wrong, but that what went wrong is only relevant to what can be better next time. Right. There's no point to it because otherwise it's just a beat down. And I love that your emphasis seemed to be on, so what are we going to do better next time? And what's going to be different next time? Because we just right. learned. That should be the, absolutely. That should be the, uh, the dominant part of that conversation. Yeah. Absolutely. You want to, you know, you may have done some things right that you would want to make sure you did again. There may have been things that you did wrong, highlight them. That's fine. But that's not where, that's not where you stay in that discussion. Absolutely. Right. You have to move that real fast to, okay, what are we going to do better next time? Fi start finding those solutions or the strategies um, that will move you to a different place uh, the next time something like that occurs. Yeah. Uh, and that's where you start getting um, innovation, ideas flowing. You're hearing from uh, multiple people in the organization, not just one person. Uh, and that really comes, it really comes back to um, like what the whole, the whole thing is impact leadership, right? The name of your podcast. Yeah. I think yeah. the simple way of looking at that is start, stop, and continue. Yeah. What, what do we need to start doing that we're not doing, et cetera? Mm -hmm. uh, yep. Well one, put. Thing we, one thing we haven't talked about, Bo, and, and I'd really be intrigued to see what, how this brings some more um, richness to this conversation. We talked about the military leadership and experience. We talked about the boardroom and the corporate world and the business world and caring for our people. And we kind of, we jumped over the middle of your career, which was in the White House. Mm -hmm. And obviously I'm sure it's a fascinating journey there, but I'd really love to hear some of your perspectives on mm -hmm. leadership. You know, in that yeah. context, a different context than military or corporate, it is a different context. Yeah. And maybe some of even the, the differences in leadership that you saw, because you crossed over administrations and parties. 
Yeah, yeah. for sure. And I think, um, you know, I feel incredibly fortunate to have had that opportunity because truly that's where I, I witnessed, um, I would say the best of the best, hmm. the people that actually do what we're talking about, uh, not one or two people, but dozens of people who have this um, amazing leadership capability to lead teams in what we often refer to as a zero defect environment. Uh, you just can't afford to get something wrong. Because uh, if you get it wrong, then something, you know, it could be a national security problem. I mean, it could elevate into a big problem um, real fast. Yeah. Uh, it could be something as simple as an embarrassment to the president. Um, you know, I, I, use, I use an example all the time. When you see it on TV, it's like, oh, geez. Um, but if the president's talking and he's got a teleprompter, you know, and that teleprompter is held on to held on this or connected to the stand with a, you know, a, a bolt, a nut and bolt and some felt so that the glass doesn't shatter because you tightened it too much. But it has to be tight enough to stay there the whole time the president <laughs> is speaking. Um, and it has happened where it falls off in the middle of the speech, <laughs> you know, and then the, what happens then if if. You know, the news station, depending on which news station and which administration it is, one, some news station is going to mock the president for this teleprompter, even though they know the president didn't set it up. The president wasn't the one responsible for it. Right. But the president in that scenario takes the heat um, for uh, and he takes the heat on what? On a, almost a global scale. Right. So that's the kind of defect when we say zero defect like that stuff, you just can't afford to let that stuff happen. Um, because the fallout from it, whether it's embarrassment or it's real, something, something much more serious, um, comes into play. Yeah. So what does that mean from a leadership perspective? That means everything that we're talking about has to be already ingrained in you before you get there. And if it's not, it elevates real quickly and you'll find your way walking right out the door. <laughs> um, um, that, that, you know, that happened, uh, happened on a regular basis. So, which made, which made for me, uh, as a, as the chief of, of HR operations, I had a global recruiting team because we recruited all of our own service members to come work, uh, with the organization. Um, so the whole thing about finding the right people for the job, it's like, yeah, I can look at all your performance reviews and they'll all tell me your technical skills and abilities. And I know you can, you can do that job, but that's not, we had an interview process that that's really, that was just the tip of the iceberg. Wow. Right Now it comes down to really finding when we say top talent, I'm talking the best talent that the military has to offer inside all of the services, army, Navy, air force, Marine Corps, and coast guard, um, for a potential opportunity to come work in that, work in that assignment, because you need people who embody, um, who embody the core values, live them, breathe them, take care of their people, uh, all the time, not sometimes, but all the time. Uh, because this is the type of environment that you're working in. And, you know, a great example, um, the president doesn't show up uh, to an event to speak and you get a rehearsal. So there's, there's, no, there's no rehearsal. It's game time every time. Uh, so, you know, I'd be sitting in uh, um, some city in the United States or events in Washington, D.C., and you arrive like six, seven days prior to the president arriving. And that's how much time you have to be 100% ready for him to arrive. And there's so much that goes into um, preparing for such, such an event. Hmm. Uh, and it's like I said, when he shows up, it's, it's game time. There's no, you don't do mic checks. 
you know, with the president, you're not doing, you know, he's not, he's not practicing the speech with you before he gives the speech <laughs> um, type of thing. Uh, you got to make sure, you know, one of the things we were responsible for is uh, Secret Service and White House staff being able to communicate. So all the radio, secure radio infrastructure gets, gets all set up from scratch um, six days prior to the president arriving. So everybody has to be able to talk. And the mission is president and staff have to be able to do everything that they can do sitting in the White House anywhere in the world. Wow. That's, that's the mission. Um, so you can, you can imagine the level of uh, leadership and what it takes and what you need to do and making sure you have built high performing teams because they need to trust you. If you're, I love, in, yeah. I love hearing that what you're saying is that, that these are the leaders that really do embody the, the character and taking care of the people like we've been talking about. Cause that's, that is not what Hollywood portrays happens in the white house. Right. I talk, I call it the machine, right? There's a machine of 3000 plus people that make that thing hum. Um, it's not, it's not the, the administrations have their, of course, they all have their political views and that's what they work on from a, a day to day. The white house itself, um, the West wing is a, it's a business office, you know, Monday through Friday, there's people working, doing their job and so forth. But when it comes to the mechanism of making it run, uh, say the operation itself, uh, that's a, that is a, a well-tuned, uh, machine and it doesn't matter what administration is in charge. So I try to, I do the same. I try to keep people calm. You know, we have very polarizing, different uh, views with your left or right. Doesn't matter. Um, the you can trust and have confidence and faith in in the team that is leading uh, and executing all of the things that the commander in chief, chief executive, head of state needs to do on a on a daily wow. basis. That's great to hear. Yeah. Well, you referenced something, Bo, that surprised me a little bit. You said you talked about core values mm -hmm. and what that makes me wonder is what are the core values of the white house and do they change by administration? Because if they do, that's a pretty challenging culture to maintain when yes. you have a moving target of core values. Right. So core values for your service. So the white house has, and none of this is classified. You can Google it. It's just one of those things people don't know exists. So they don't know to Google it. Um, <laughs> the white house, the White House military office um, is the operational control of things like Air Force One. You see that all the time, right? So that's the biggest one in the news because the president flies around um, all the time. Uh, then you have HMX-1 on the Marine Corps, which is the helicopter. There's Camp David uh, run by the Navy. You have the White House mess for food and control. Uh, White House communications, which was not what I was part of for all of the the communications, secure, non-secure information technologies that support mm. um, the Office of the Administration and the President directly, uh, First Lady, uh, White House staff, and so forth. And um, this is the, this is the key about the machine. It doesn't matter if the values of the White House change every four years. It's the values of it's the values of the of the three thousand other people, right? That are solidified and demonstrated on a daily basis that don't change. Wow. So that's fascinating. Yeah. So that's, you know, the army seven values and they apply each service has their own. Um, armies are very entrenched. Uh, I think they're emulated across all of them. 
loyalty, duty, respect, uh, selfless service, honor, integrity, and personal courage. And you and I tell people in companies if and I wrote this in my book, if you don't have core values in your in your company, that's fine. Here are seven that you can't go wrong with. Right? <laughs> and it's the army core values. You just cannot go wrong with these values. Read about them, see if they apply and yeah. take a couple of them, take all seven, whatever, start somewhere, right? But make start sure with, that they're meaningful to you. Like make the sure word integrity, what does you. it actually mean to exactly. you? What is, yeah, 100%, but at least start here, Right. make them meaningful, define them on how that would actually apply to you. And it'll at least give you the idea of what we're talking about when we say, values and values-based leadership yeah. um, and so forth. So when you have an organization like that supporting such an office uh, and those values don't change, and that's what you're looking for out of all of your people, even when you cross administrations, how you go to work every day and behave does not change. Just because it's President Bush or President Obama or President Trump or potentially President Biden, it doesn't matter. It really truly does not matter. So. Um, when I hear people saying, oh my gosh, if so-and-so wins, the world is going to end. No. Right? And I'm like, no, I really don't think so. But let me tell you why, right? Not just because I disagree with you, but I disagree <laughs> with you for a very specific reason. And it's not because I think differently than you from a political standpoint or whatever. It's because I have a lot of trust and confidence having been there and been part of it in the mechanism that, that makes it operate. Yeah. Um, so basically the yeah. president sits on top of a foundation that's solid. There's a solid, yes, there is a solid foundation from uh, that is so good security and communications and um, overall operations yeah. that would, that would, and I know all of the people that work in that, um, even like your secret service who are responsible for protecting the president, doesn't matter who the president is, right? It's the office that they serve. Yeah. Um, and they're going to, they're going to protect that person, period. Yeah. No questions asked. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I need, I feel from a personal standpoint, I want to ask you a question about one of those values, Bo. Sure. Because actually just this week, I put something out in social media about one of those values mm -hmm. and it is about definitions. And I, I didn't speak highly of this value. Okay. I'll okay. just tell you that. And, it, and the value is loyalty. Uh -huh. And the reason is for me and what I put out there was that, um, I think I said something like, um, some leaders demand loyalty, but other loyalty, other leaders demand integrity. I said, uh -huh. I'll take integrity all day long because loyalty can become slippery at the expense of integrity. Yeah. Because to me, loyalty could mean if you ask me to do something that's out of integrity, I will do it because I'm loyal to you or so-called loyal to the company. So I've, I've often struggled with that. I, and I get it's definitional with that value sure. of loyalty for that reason. Yeah, I understand that uh, completely. Um, the way the part of part of what I like about loyalty and the way the army and I'll just stick there, um, the way the army describes it, and this is just one one piece of it. Um, uh, bearing true faith and allegiance is a matter of believing in and devoting yourself to something or someone. Um, so. You could be you could be an individual that embraces loyalty as a as a person and a personal value, but doesn't mean that you're going to bear true faith and allegiance to something that bears no integrity, um, and so forth. Uh, but I, I kind of, from a company perspective, 
um, I think you just got to get into what they believe loyalty is. Right. Right. Cause I'm with you and you, you know, if you, if you want loyalty first, um, and you expect somebody, you know, to follow you off a cliff because they embody loyalty. Well, that's kind of a problem. <laughs> you know? Right. Right. Yeah. So well, that's one of the things input. I found. That's one of the things I found fascinating about Dick Winter's story because in, in the show and in the book, they talk about a scenario where Dick Winters uh, countermanded a direct order mm-hmm. and told his men to lie. Yeah, that's bad. Um, and in that moment, I remember watching that because what he did was he told them they're supposed to go on a mission again a second night and uh-huh. a man had been lost and he said, here's what you're going to put in your report, but you're not yeah. going. And in that moment, I, th- I remember watching that thinking, wow, that's leadership because he believed it was the right thing to do. And he was asked about it later. And in his memoir, he was asked about it. And he said, you know, that is the decision I made. I still believe it was the right decision. And I made that decision knowing that if that was found out, I would be outdone. Hmm. That was not a gray area. That was the, the risk that I was taking. It was an, not even a risk. It was a certainty my career as an officer would be over, but I believed it was the right thing to do. And I did it. But what he said was interesting is he said, I've taught at the, at the war college. I think it'd be the war college mm-hmm. for decades. And it's just virtually no one ever asked me about that. Mm. And it troubles really? me that no one asked me about that <laughs> because that's not a simple decision. Yeah. That no. is against everything I have been taught and, yeah. and told. And he said, I'm, I guess I'm a little disappointed that more people have not asked me about yeah, that they didn't call him out on it. That's fascinating. Oh. Truly is. Yeah. Good stuff. Bo, Bo, this has been awesome. I, yes. I didn't I didn't know what to, I mean, I didn't know what to expect. I never do and didn't mm-hmm. know you. I, I really enjoy I, and what you had to share in your wisdom, but also your passion for a simple premise. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Care about your people. Yeah. And and yeah. don't just tell them you care about them, but show them you care and <laughs> how you make decisions how you interact with them, yeah. make time for them. It is simple. I think it is incredibly simple it and is. often overlooked. So thank you for bringing that powerful message. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm gonna, You're most welcome. I'm going to model a little something here, like what we talked about before. And I'm just going to say, Jeff does a fantastic job of curating the guests that we have on here because mm-hmm. I'm constantly amazed at how, you know, who shows up like yourself, who we, we always have great conversations. So kudos, Jeff. Yeah, good well, job, you. Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> so we always wrap up with a couple things bo uh, is uh-huh. there anything anything in particular you want to highlight or promote that's going on in your world oh sure um i always like to promote um my book uh i captured a lot of what we talked about today and my journey um in my book from the battlefield to the white house to the boardroom uh, leading organizations to values-based results uh forward was written by mike barger co-founder of JetBlue and a former navy top gun uh, pilot and chief instructor, um, and a professor at my alma mater, uh, University of Michigan, go blue. Uh, I got to promote that. They are not doing too well in football this year, but <laughs> they are top notch for academics, top, <laughs> top are. five. Um, yeah. So I, I like that, uh, to promote the book. Uh, if you, if your listeners, uh, enjoy it, you can actually get a signed copy from my website, which is, oh, great. uh, robertbrabo.com. Um, just so people know, my actual name is, uh, Robert, uh, I go by Robert Bo Bravo, uh, from my last name, but my, my editor and publisher said, Hey, once you pick a name and you're writing books, you got to stick with it. That's it. 
Don't change it. People won't know how to find you. Um, but the website is just robertbrabo.com, and that's a B at the end. Um, often confused with a V for Bravo, uh, but it's a B. Uh, listen, you can listen to our podcast. Uh, myself and one of my colleagues, uh, Luke Carradine, uh, we publish the Bo and Luke Show uh, podcast, new episode every Thursday. A lot of the same types of, of things. Our focus is on uh, helping individuals be, know, and do better. Mm-hmm. Um, never stop going after their, their dreams, if you will, no matter how old they are, no matter how hard it gets, how tough it gets. You just can't stop. You got you to keep going after it. Uh, we have some pretty amazing guests that have done that, and uh, we're super thankful for them, just as you are for yours. Yeah. So appreciate it. Been great. Uh, this has been awesome. Yeah. So, Bo, what is the? Uh, you mentioned your website. What's the best way for people to connect with you? Is it the website? Is it email? Is it LinkedIn? All of the above. All well, yeah, all of the above. LinkedIn is great, but on the website, you can email me directly. The email is simple. It's just bo b o at robertbrabo.com. Um, but you can get that, uh, directly from the, from the website as well as my office and cell phone numbers that publish all that. So people are welcome to call, leave voicemails, um, whatever the case might be. Okay. We'll have that yeah. in the show notes as well. Yeah. Thanks. So the, we always finish with a question or two. I'm going to just choose one today. And the question for you, Bo, is you have an opportunity to, to have dinner with someone who's living. Oh, who's living. Who, who do you want to have dinner with? And what's the one question you're going to make sure to ask them? Wow. That's a great question. There are so many great, great, great people um, that I would love to, that that would just be a fascinating, um, fascinating time. I think I, you know, and this would be a private conversation, right? Yep. Yep. I would, I would love to have dinner with president Obama hmm. for, um, for a very specific uh, reason. Uh, most of my traveling and events uh, during my time frame uh, were with him. Um, and I, I would just like to know from his mouth to my ears, you know, what he, what he thought of the leadership of the teams that were supporting him. Hmm. Like, what was his opinion of those? He and President Bush were very different people. President Obama is very charismatic. I'm very open, um, and so forth. Uh, I would just like to know what, what he thought personally, you know, I have letters, uh, I put them in the book. I have letters from white house chiefs of staff. You know, they thank you for everything that you're doing and it's, and it's Christmas time and him and the, you know, the chief of staff and the president appreciate all you're doing. Um, but it would be phenomenal to actually have, have this kind of conversation with him. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. He's on my dinner list. I have a dinner list. Yeah. He's been mentioned before, but uh, not somebody who's actually worked with him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, good stuff. Well, thank you for that, Bo. Thanks for being here and sharing. And thanks for all your work in the world as well. Yes. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jeff. For making a difference. Great. Good stuff. If you like this podcast, you'll love the Cartavera Tribe. The Cartavera Tribe is a community of growth-committed leaders who want to connect, engage, and grow themselves, their people, and their businesses. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, assessments, and events to challenge you and help you grow. And the Cartavera Tribe is a membership like none other. 
You'll get live access to Craig and Jeff where you can ask questions, as well as masterminds where you can get answers from other leaders who've already solved your greatest challenges. You'll have access to additional interviews and a variety of courses, tools, and resources to help you achieve your biggest goals. We have monthly game days where we have challenges and competitive games to help you grow your leadership capabilities. And you'll get a personal growth Sherpa who will guide you to help you reach your growth goals. To find out more, go to cardivera.com. That's C-A-R-D-I-V-E-R-A.com. See you on the inside. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about, and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so.